Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's time once again for FOMO Friday. Yes, we love this time of the week because we get to bring you the stories of the week that you may or may not have heard. Uh, We dispense of your fear of missing out, particularly if you're not listening to propaganda media. And from a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes this first one. The Vatican on Wednesday clarified, I guess, several questions regarding people who have received transgender medical treatments same-sex couples, and Catholic sacraments. Yeah, well, the Vatican's uh, dictatory, I guess is how you pronounce that, for the doctrine of faith. I'm not Catholic myself, so I might have slaughtered that, but uh, this this particular thing exists uh, to defend Catholic doctrine. And uh, they, they published a document on Wednesday responding to six controversial questions submitted by a Brazilian bishop over the summer. Now, some of the questions dealt with whether a transgender person can be baptized, serve as a godparent at a baptism, or be a witness at a wedding. The the other questions dealt with whether a same-sex couple's child can be baptized and whether a cohabiting person in a same-sex relationship can be a godparent or witness at a wedding. So kind of all centers around the same type of thing. Now on the first transgender question, the Vatican responded that a person who has received gender surgery or hormone treatment can be baptized under the same conditions as other believers if there are no situations in which there is a risk of generating public scandal <laughs> or disorientation amongst the faithful. <laughs> so, so, so if there's going to be some scandal, well, I guess you can't do it. You know, God's not going to allow you to. But uh, anyway, children and teens with problems of a transgender nature, as they put it, can also be baptized if they are well prepared and willing to receive the sacraments, the Vatican said. The Vatican cautioned, however, that when a person is baptized without repentance of grave sins, the subject, well, does not receive sanctifying grace, although he receives a sacramental character. Again, not being Catholic, not sure exactly what that means, but it's kind of a word salad. Quote, in any case, the church must always remind us to fully live all the implications of the baptism received, which must always be understood and deployed within the entire path of Christian initiation, the document said. Again, more word salad. On the the godparent issue, though, the Vatican said people who have undergone transgender medical treatment can serve as godparents under certain conditions. And on the questions regarding same-sex couples and and baptism, the Vatican said that a priest baptizing a child must be a found hope that the baptized child will be raised Catholic, as Catholic canon law establishes. So, so you can be a you, you can be a parent, a same-sex couple, and want baptism as long as you you know for your child. As long as you you say you're going to raise them Catholic, I guess. The Vatican also noted 
that Canon Law states that a godparent should be a Catholic who has received the sacrament of confirmation and someone who leads a life of faith in keeping with the function to be taken on. That's exactly how they put it. Uh, in the in case uh, the the case is is different when it comes to cohabit cohabiting same sex couples though in in a even in a stable and declared sexual union that is well known by the community is what the Vatican said. The Catholic Church does not sanction sanction same sex marriage though. So, <laughs> so this is a bit confusing because. If you're married, you can baptize your child as long as it doesn't create a bunch of hollow And but 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 it doesn't sanction the same-sex marriage. And if you're not married, you can't do it. Kind of weird. But anyway, on the wedding witness question, the Vatican said there is no rule preventing a person who has undergone transgender treatment or cohabiting person in a same-sex relationship from serving as a witness. Now, the document was signed by Pope Francis last month. And in recent years, of course, there has been much speculation around whether Pope Francis would change the Catholic Church's approach to LGBT people. And the Church said that the Catholic Church never changes its official doctrine, although it is it, it often clarifies particular points, it says. I, you know, I know some of you are Catholic, and I get it. But... I, I just can't agree with any denomination that caters to society at the expense of the Bible. And, and you may find it hard to believe, but I have watched every episode of Little House on the Prairie. Yes, thanks to my sister. <laughs> A Little House on the Prairie actress Melissa Gilbert spoke candidly about her experience with cosmic procedure, uh, cosmetic procedures, not cosmic, but cosmetic, saying it made her look worse, not better. The 59-year-old, yeah, she's 59 years old already. 59-year-old celebrity said it will, uh, it all started when she was preparing to be um, and appear on Dancing with the Stars back in 2012. She said, I I was approaching 50 and there was this, <clears throat> this panic of this is it. I've got to to write this uh, out while I can. And Gilbert told this to, to People uh, magazine during a recent interview. It said th- this age milestone inspired her to make a few bad choices, as she put it, when it came to beauty enhancements. Quote, I literally looked like Carrot Top, the comedian. <laughs> My hair was too red. And when I did Botox, I became the spawn of Satan. With, with with pointy eyebrows, she said. I, I need to go find a picture of this. But she said, I had no facial expression, which is anathema considering that I you know what I do for a living. She added that it's uh, exhausting keeping up with this kind of facade. Uh, I was very insecure. Now, the former child star met her husband, actually, that same year and credits her influence or his influence, with helping her pivot to a more natural look. Quote, I embraced it, uh, she said, uh, um, of, of looking older. Uh, and when I, I would say, I think I'm going to stop coloring my hair, he'd say, can't wait to see what color it is. 
There, this is so exciting, she said. When, when I, I said, I, I think I want to get my breast implants taken out permanently, he said, do it. It's, it's incredibly uplifting to be with someone who says, I love you exactly the way you are, Gilbert told the outlet. It makes a big difference to come home to someone who sees me in sweats with no makeup on and my hair back in a, in a ponytail and goes, oh, you are the most beautiful woman, as opposed to someone who goes, I think you should lose a little weight, or I'm getting nervous about these lines around your eyes, which did happen in, in my past, she says. I didn't color my hair anymore, she continues. I, I, I don't put any fillers or Botox in my face, and I take care of myself to the best of my ability, but I am what I am, and I am not going to sacrifice my own well-being because someone expects me to be something that they have in their mind. The actress said being famous for playing a 12-year-old, the Laura Ingalls Wilder, character on the show is part of what made her feel that she had always always had to look young but now she she's happy to to have aged quote i wouldn't want to be younger gilbert said i i wouldn't want to have to learn these lessons again i like where i am i'm happy in my skin happy in my life there you know there is just there's nothing quite like being in a healthy marriage with someone who truly loves you. Unfortunately, there are people out there that hate you. <laughs> like this story. Uh, when Museum of Tolerance, yes, the irony is, is there. When the Museum of Tolerance in Los Angeles screened footage on Wednesday night of Hamas atrocities from their October 7th uh, attack on Israel, violent clashes broke out as anti-Israel activists moved in to disrupt demonstrations by Jewish supporters of Israel, prompting police to respond. Roughly 200 people, including Israeli ambassador to the United Nations and an official with the Israel um, Defense Forces uh, and Hollywood executives, showed up for the screening of bearing witness. It's a 43-minute film showing the, the Hamas atrocities. Some of the footage was actually taken by Hamas terrorists themselves, even. The film reportedly ex, um, excluded Hamas murder of infants and rape of women. Uh, and that has actually been widely revealed um, you know, elsewhere, obviously, but it prompted some attendees to react with anger. Uh, saying that people should see the full barbarity of the atrocities committed by Hamas. Um, you know, I, I've heard from from people that uh, that have seen some of this that it's just it's it's seared into their mind, and so uh, I can understand why they would take that that tact. But the violence at the Museum of Tolerance occurred on the night of November eighth in Los Angeles, but it was really November 9th in Europe, which, of course, was the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, which is, of course, the night of broken glass. That's the night when the Nazis in, instructed um, their, uh, their, uh, to be a series of prognoms, which is uh, the targeting of, of Jews in Germany, the annex part of, of Austria, and parts of uh, Suttenland, which... Uh, it was it was there at the time. Although the Nazis 
reported only 91 Jews had been murdered. Later scholarships found that hundreds of Jews died, as as many died, uh, and many of them even died later of their injuries. Um, as the program uh, spread, units of the SS and the Gestapo, the secret state police, following uh, Hendrick's instructions, arrested up to 30,000 Jew, Jewish males and transferred most of them from local prisons to concentration camps. Um, this according to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Now, Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Gilad Aaron, uh, he, uh, he said that he came from New York because screening this footage is of the utmost importance and it will change the way you view the Middle East and the way that you view the war in Gaza and Hamas. Now, Hamas, just, just like the Nazis and, and Isis, viewed Jews as insects to be exterminated. Uh, Hamas, this is a quote, Hamas must be eradicated, he declared. This is the only way to prevent another massacre. If Israel doesn't eradicate this evil, mark my words, he says, the West is next. And, you know, to me, I just can't imagine hating a race of people so much that you would erupt into violence at the screen of a movie that presented real footage of a terror attack on those same people. I mean, it's literally barbaric. And speaking of barbaric, actually, votes in Ohio, uh, voters in, uh, in Ohio voted Tuesday to approve a ballot initiative that places a right to an abortion into states, in, into the state's constitution. That's unfortunate, right? Pro-life advocates say the measure will effectively make abortion legal at any point in pregnancy. The initiative brought in millions in spending with more than $18 million being spent in favor of the pro-abortion initiative and just $7 million uh, uh, being spent on the opposition since August 9th. Quote, our hearts are broken tonight because not because we lost an election, but because Ohio families, women and children will bear the brunt of this vote. When Michigan voters passed a similar amendment last year, they were sold the lie that parental rights would be unaffected, that late-term abortion would remain legal, and that um, would remain illegal, and that women's health and safety standards would not be touched. But just last week, the Michigan legislature voted to repeal penalties for partial birth abortions to eliminate health and safety um, protections at, at abortion facilities, and they called prote- uh, parental consent laws unconstitutional. And they even vowed to come for informed consent laws and 24-hour waiting periods next. We know the same barbaric attacks on parents and children are now coming home to Ohio. And this was according to Protect Women Ohio, as they said in a uh, statement posted on X. Uh, other um, pro-life organizations also released statements on the vote saying, Big abortion won, while women, parents, and babies lost. Women uh, lost common sense protections. Parents have lost the ability to be involved in, in a key and dangerous component of their child's me- medical and emotional health. 
And babies have been denied their body autonomy to grow as God intended. Uh, the effort to put abortion into state constitution was backed by the Ohio Democratic Party. Shocker, right? The ACLU of Ohio, <laughs> the Planned Parenthood Advocates of Ohio, and Ohio Women's Alliance. Uh, Martin Haskell, a proponent of partial birth abortion, uh, gave $100,000 to Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights which is a political action committee that opposed a Republican-backed measure that uh, would have made it more difficult to amend the state constitution. Of course, that went down, but the abortion one did go through. Uh, Prominent Ohio Republicans like Governor Mike DeWine uh, and Senator J.D. Vance spoke out against enshrining abortion into the state's constitution, calling the measure extreme. And of course it is. you see, when, when the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was now a state's issue, well, this has, has been playing out through all 50 states now, right? Each state has to go through what they believe and, and what they're going to put into law. Um, this, this does point out that pro-lifers should not go for the whole ball of wax in most cases. It, it, we kind of have that that problem of, of we, we want all or nothing type thing oftentimes. And, and politics is an incrementalist type of thing. Uh, if we need to, to go one part at a time in many states, let's do that. The polling shows that the majority is in support of that, of going piece by piece and, and, and not just going for the, you know, the whole thing, the whole enchilada, uh, they just are not in support of banning it altogether in many cases, but they are in support of putting many, many restrictions on it. So, again, it's kind of a political thing that that we kind of have to really wake ourselves up to. Now, you will remember earlier this year that there was a mass shooting in Nashville by a transgender f- former student of a private school um, that, it, that, um, that they once went to. Now... She left a manifest, but it has yet to be released. Now we have some leaks of that manifest, finally. The transgender-identifying killer who murdered six people at a Christian school in Nashville was consumed by, yes, leftist racial hatred targeting whites and privileged, according to to, uh, three pages of the shooter's diary released by podcaster Stephen Crowder on Monday. Now, some of these are a little bit hard, hard to to, uh, to hear, and uh, I'm going to do my best to make it family-friendly. But it says, uh, quote, kill those kids, those crackers going to private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and, and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. This is what the 28-year-old female shooter wrote in her diary entry dated February 3rd. Quote, I wish to shoot you weak-ass, well, male parts with your mop yellow hair. Want to kill all you little crackers, bunch of little, well, the F word for gays, uh, with your white privileges. This is, again, what she wrote in her diary. Uh, Three paragraphs of the pages of the shooter's diary were obtained by Crowder 
who reported that this that his investigative team independently confirmed the authenticity of the images, and others have done so as well. Uh, the diary entries also reveal her schedule uh, for death day, uh, beginning at 7 a.m., getting dressed, and ending after 12.37 p.m. with time to die. Quote, I hope I have a high death count. Ready to die, haha, she wrote in the diary entry dated March 27th. And of course, the um, the day um, horror struck the, the Covenant School. Uh, the musings re- reflect the, the uh, envy for stable, productive society that is targeted as dominant and, and privileged by the critical race theory espouses uh, by, by many in, in the public schools. The shooter, who we uh, will not be naming, uh, that's our policy, uh, boasted uh, to a friend before the shooting that she had left plenty of evidence behind making her motives clear. Nashville's police acknowledged this fact after the shooting. And after the shooting, uh, Nashville Police Chief uh, John Drake uh, promised Republican Governor Bill Lee that the manifesto would soon be released. The Covenant School shooting was a, tra- uh, was a tragedy beyond comprehension, as Tennesseans need, uh, need clar- uh, clarity. Uh, we've been in touch with the Nashville Police Department, and today Chief Drake has, uh, assured me that the documents and information regarding the shooter will be released to the public very soon. This was on April 27th. But Drake broke his promise. For the better part of a year, Nashville's Police Department refused to release the manifesto, citing a series of contradictory excuses. A spokeswoman for Lee ignored uh, all of the responses um, for uh, the release of the manifesto. The uh, Metropolitan Police Department and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations denied open record requests um, by Daily Wire and and a bunch of others. Uh, The Tennessee Star, um, a lot of different outlets. Um, even though the shooter was dead. Now, the Star and others sued the, the police department, then claimed it could not release the manifesto because it was the subject of litigation. Well, catch-22, given that the, the litigation was about its refusal to release the manifesto. So <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? A Nashville judge later allowed parents of the Covenant attendees to intervene in the open records lawsuit to claim that releasing the manifesto would traumatize their children, even though uh, attorney Rob Harvey, who presented to uh, two plaintiffs said the represents uh, two plaintiffs said the parents are not crime victims under the law and that their concerns are only, um, you know, they're, they're only speculative since they don't know what's contained in the records. Tennessee law enforcement authorities also claim that they've they were asked by the FBI, get this, not to release the manifesto. They were asked by the FBI this, even though in another catch-22, the FBI said that it wasn't terrorism. This whole thing was not terrorism, and therefore the FBI had no jurisdiction. But they're going to put the pressure not to release the manifesto. The writings may raise questions about why the killing of school children, apparently based on their race, was not considered a hate crime by the FBI. That's why they don't want it out, right? The shooter and the children uh, she targeted 
were based on race, you know, the fact that they were white. A, a Nashville city councilor, uh, you know, basically said the same thing. This is a dangerous road to hoe. Uh, a, a, a spokesman for the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation told the AP that under state law, legislatures should access the records if a committee passes a resolution. But guess what? They haven't done so. A spokeswoman for Lee told the AP that the governor can also review the records under state law, but he has declined to, to do so until police provide clarity on them for the public. Well, the Metro National Police Department on Monday afternoon finally released a vague statement on the images of the trans-identifying school shooters manifesto, uh, saying that they are not MNPD crime scene images and that it is investigating the release of the three photographs. You see, the MNPD is in communication, as they, as they put it, with the Met- Metropolitan Department of Law as an investigation began, uh, begun this morning continues into the uh, dissemination of three photographs of writings during an online discussion about uh, Covenant School. Uh, the police department has been in contact with a representative of the Covenant families. The police department can... Uh, can Counselors are available to assist them in coping with the emotional trauma caused by this dissemination. Okay. Uh, Crowder told a local outlet, uh, WKRN, that a detective present at the Covenant School in the aftermath of the mass shooting took the photos of the images and later sent them to a source within the Nashville Police Department. And Crowder said that his team then traveled to Nashville to obtain the pictures and verify their authenticity. Um, you know, th- this whole thing, it, th- th- if, if it were any, if, if this shooter, let's say, let's just say this shooter was a, it was someone who was, um, black, let's say, or BIPOC and, um, and, or, or, or white, let's just say they're, they're, they're shooting up a white, uh, a school, a lot, a lot of white uh, kids and, this, this person was a Christian. This person was a conservative. This person was a, uh, a mega Trump supporter or something like that. What, what do you think would, would happen the very day that manifesto would come out? But there's a lot of bearing of things here. Um, one of, I mean, like, for instance, one of the things that, that we did find out at the time that this shooter um, uh, did, did her thing is that she considered other facilities to shoot up, but ultimately decided on this one because the other one had more security with weapons. Yeah, I mean, this this is just another element of, of this story that should be brought out. And by trying to bury and hide this manifesto, well, you know, we can... We can let the feelings, uh, you know, come back down and we can, you know, maybe release it on a Friday when nobody really, uh, you know, is, is talking about it till Monday again. I mean, it, it, this this is the type of thing that should not be taking place. Our government should not be hiding this kind of thing to put it out there. It's what it, it, it's what they almost always do. It's protocol. They released 
those manifestos so that we can look and see what happened during this time we, uh, and with this person. And we can say, well, okay, is there anything that we, we can learn from this? But, you know, they don't want us to learn lessons from this one. Um, but let's end on a lighter note, can we? And the key word here is note. A Frenchman cleaning trash from a beach found a message in a bottle that had been authored by a Massachusetts fifth grader 26 years earlier. Yeah, kind of cool, right? Benjamin Lyons wrote the message as part of an assignment for a, a science teacher uh, and his his class at Sandwich's Fortsdale School in October of 1997. The messages written by the class were uh, inserted into bottles and dropped into the ocean by a um, boat captain who um, uh, who was the uh, the teacher's friend. Now, of course, that wouldn't happen today because you know we pollute our oceans with bottles, right? Um, but anyway, uh, Hubert Eru, who is nine, who is seventy one, said in his reply to the uh, school district that. He typically spends his mornings fishing and cleaning up the beach, beach trash in uh, Les Sables, um, France. And he said uh, that he came across the message in a bottle on August 11th. Now, Carol uh, Archibalata, uh, a, a sixth grade science teacher in, in the district, said other messages in bottles uh, from that same class have been found over the years, including one in Greenland. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you are able to get one out there, you know, it just may be found years later. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. If you think, but you know, like I say, maybe you've done such a thing. Maybe you even have a story like that. I know I, I had a teacher who put one out there in like second grade and, uh, never found anything, you know, it sunk to the bottom, I'm sure. But anyway, if you had one found or you have a story kind of like that, love to hear it. You can always go to uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Organite Communications.